Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with How Stuff Works and iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And today's episode is a classic episode that originally published on November 19th, 2012. It's titled, Tech Stuff Gets an ESRB Rating. And I talked about ESRB ratings not too long ago. But in this episode, Chris Paulette and I actually talk about the ESRB rating system, where it came from, how it's used, and to get a deeper understanding of what it's for and, you know, why it exists. I hope you guys enjoy. We're doing an episode about the ESRB. Okay. So, uh... Are you okay? I am okay. It's the Entertainment Software Rating Board. And this, oh. this is actually a request... Uh, that was sent to us by a couple of different listeners who wanted to know more about this system, its history. Why do we have it? Uh, does it work? What's it all about? So in general, the ESRB. Alfie. Sorry. Alfie? The ESRB. What's it all about, Alfie? Mm-hmm. The ESRB is a uh, it's a rating system for video games. Yes. And it's it's a rating system not for the quality of the game. But what is the content? How the content of the game shapes the game, and and whether or not that content is um, uh, suitable for different age groups. So uh, just running through the the different ratings really quickly, uh, the ESRB has ratings for EC, which is early childhood. That's uh, games that are suitable for ages three and older. Mm-hmm. Uh, younger than three, we just typically say these are. People who probably can't process what the heck is going on anyway, so it really doesn't matter what it is, uh, but no, not really appropriate. In any case, get that two-year-old off my Xbox. Uh, E is uh, for everyone, which is actually not everyone. It's really content that's suitable for ages six and older, keeping in mind that content that's EC, early childhood, probably has gameplay elements that most... uh, People all over the age of six wouldn't be terribly interested in. Um, I say most because there are exceptions. I mean, I'm not going to pass judgment on Chris if he wants to play lots of EC games. There's uh, E10+, which is everyone 10 and older. So, uh, again, slightly more uh, restrictive than just the E. T for teen. Uh, M for mature, meaning people who are 17 or older. Uh, and AO, <laughs> AO, which is adults only, uh, which it has content in it that should only be played by people of 18 years of age or older. According to the rating. According to the rating. And, AO, and, OA. And each of these, each of these ratings have their own criteria as to, you know, what, what constitutes a T rating as opposed to an M rating. And, uh, in general, what we're talking about here are, um, types of content that might include things like gambling that that will up a uh, ESRB rating on a game to a higher one to like M or whatever. Uh, violence, blood, gore, sexual content, strong language, drug use, this kind of stuff. Sort of the same things that you would see with the Motion Picture Association of America with their rating system for movies. Mm-hmm. In fact, there are a lot of parallels. And you, th- you might say, all right, so we have this rating system. Uh, how did that get started? And really, to, to understand that, you have to go back into the history of video games. I would argue in a way that you'd have to go back into the history of entertainment content. Because I think the ESRB yeah. is 
uh, well, it, it's a consortium, really. Yeah. Or, and, and the thing is, I think they were paying attention to what had happened to people in other industries as well. Right. It just, it, it, before the, uh, before the, the early 90s, it was kind of a moot point. Only because video games were fairly primitive as far as graphics are concerned. So it was not easy to graphically represent something that would be objectionable. Uh, not that people didn't try and not that there aren't uh, exceptions, because there are. I'm thinking of one right off the top of my head from the Atari 2600 days. But it, you, you could not realistically represent things like uh, graphic violence or, or sexual content uh, before the 16-bit era. You know, mm-hmm. It was just really the consideration was that the 8-bit era and earlier, everything was so blocky and so pixelated that it didn't really resemble reality. It was more like seeing something in a cartoon. So, uh, you know, you might watch a cartoon as a kid of uh, Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner, and the Roadrunner does something and Wile E. Coyote suffers a terrible injury. And there are some people who would argue that that could be harmful to kids. Uh, seeing as how it shaped me and who I am, well, that's anecdotal. Anyway, and Chris, uh, you know, don't worry, I'm not going to do anything with this enormous mallet behind me. Um, well, yes, I, and, and, you know, that there were some exceptions. I do bear a striking resemblance to my character from Adventure <laughs> on the Atari. Right. Uh, just a block. Because I am a, a block. Just a, just a block. Just one pixel block, but a, a giant pixel. Uh, once we got into the 16-bit era, we started to have more realistic, more fluid graphics, and there were, you know, the, the, Population that was playing video games was beginning to grow older. You know, yep. you, were, you had people who had started playing video games as kids on systems like the Atari or the Nintendo Entertainment System or whatever, and so they were continuing to play video games as they got older, and their interests began to uh, go into more what we call mature uh, subjects. So mm-hmm. just like people who watch movies, you know, they might want to go see an R-rated movie or something. Uh, same sort of thing. And so the video game publishers began to cater to that audience. I mean, you've got to remember also the people who were developing video games. They were video game players, you know, when they were kids. And we're talking about the early 90s here. The people who played video games in the very early 80s were now the people who were making video games in the 90s. Their tastes had matured. And so you started to see video games that were uh, depicting violence in a more realistic and uh, graphic way than ever before. And that began to raise some concerns in the minds of certain people. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of those people held quite a bit of influence. Uh, people like uh, the Senator Joe Lieberman uh, and Senator Herb, uh, Herb Cole. Mm-hmm. They both were uh, concerned and they had hearings in the United States Senate about video game violence and how that affected children and whether or not, in fact, video games were contributing to the corruption of society. This is not a new thing. Oh, no, not at all. We have had politicians worry about various forms of entertainment corrupting the youth and ruining everything, and that's why apple pie doesn't taste as sweet. It's why you can't walk down the street at night. It's why you have to lock your doors when you leave in the evening. It's it's why you you never have the paper because your neighbor always steals it. It's, it's, it's It's actually the reason why everything is terrible now. 
I'm exaggerating for effect. Okay. I but didn't know if you were, you were, you know. Yeah. Being sincere? Well, no. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, and then it's not just politicians, of course. No, there are, no. no there are parents' associations. There are just concerned citizens who uh, draw conclusions that a form of entertainment and the its popularity among a certain group might, in fact, influence that certain group to behave in a negative way. Or to be desensitized against violence, for example. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So not, not necessarily they'll go out and hit somebody over the head with a mallet. But if they see Jonathan. someone else hit someone over the head with a mallet, they won't necessarily spring to action. Um, yeah, there, I, there are concerns, and there have been lots of different studies uh, with very different outcomes about mm-hmm. whether or not uh, violence in media affects people in a real way beyond, you know, beyond like a visceral reaction. Does mm-hmm. it have a lasting impact on a person's personality? Those are questions that still have not been fully answered because there are a lot of studies out there with conflicting results. Yes. I know what I believe, but <laughs> but there are results that conflict with what I believe. So. Well, as it turns out, it, it, it may be one of those frustrating situations where it may depend on the individual person. Right. Well, in which whom, case I would argue that that's a person, that's yeah. a person issue, not a, not an industry issue. Yeah. Right. Cause it's, it's one of those, you could make the argument of, well, if this one person who was affected by this one type of media were to instead have fixated upon another type of media, we'd be having the same discussion, but we'd be having it about music. Well, yeah. And yeah. this discussion has been about music. It has been about television. It has been about film. It's been about novels. It's been about classical music. I mean, sure. Any, any form of entertainment you can imagine. It's gone through this experience of people talking about, you know, that novel, that newfangled way of putting words together and creating fanciful fictional stories is ruining everything. Oh, yeah. That yeah. that actually – there were people who said that. Oh, yeah. Novels no, no. were bringing about the downfall of society. <laughs> uh, well, hey, um, I recently read that, that – uh Plato, I think it was, had uh, rebelled against the written word. Yeah, because Socrates, he said, yes. He said, no, it's, you yeah, it shouldn't because write things down. Writing things down means that you are sapping your own ability to think. That was yes. the idea. So. It's, it's the same argument about Google making us stupid because everything that we need to know is on the web now. Yeah. So we don't need to remember it in our, our meat space heads. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, anyway, like we, the point of that whole thing is just to say video games are not unique in this situation. This has gone through multiple venues, multiple forms of media. Mm-hmm. But in this case, you had a lot of pressure coming from the United States government for something to be done in the video game industry uh, within the industry itself or the ultimatum was if you guys don't get together and figure out a way of taking care of this then we're going to do it yeah we being the united states government and and the industry was like did not want that to happen they did not want to have some sort of federal regulation in place over the video game industry and so it was imperative to come up with some sort of industry based rating system that could be demonstrably proven to be as objective as possible. So it's not, you know, it's not pulling the wool over anyone's eyes or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to have some sort of enforceable uh, policy. Yeah. Uh, those were all important issues. Yeah. And, and again, they're, they're taking their, their, their cues from other similar or other entertainment industries like the Motion Picture Association of America with, uh, with movie ratings several decades Prior and uh, right. of course the comics code from comic books after uh, Frederick Wortham's uh, um, seduction of the innocent, um, 
Wow. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, these, these industries self-regulated. They said, okay, okay, you know what? We'll get together. We'll form a group and we will come up with a rating system that helps people identify what kind of content to, you know, will be in the package right. when you, when you do this. And yeah, I mean, there were, there were certain games in particular. I think some, you know, like Mortal, Mortal Kombat. Kombat. That's the one, the Mortal Kombat, I think more than any other video game has been cited as the, the, Genesis of this discussion. I mean, there are other ones too, like Doom. That was another big one. Doom, Doom, to Doom, Doom. Um, Night Trap for home games. Lethal Enforcers, which was a, as I recall, a light gun based game. So, I mean, yeah, these, these were games that had a lot of violence in them. Of course, by today's games standards, if you're talking about a truly, a truly violent game in today's standards, they might seem quaint. In comparison, yeah, but uh, but you know that was what caused the, these conversations to happen, and as a result, the games industry, or actually different companies within the industry, all began to suggest ratings systems. And yeah. in fact, there were quite a few in the earliest days. There were several competing ones. Sega came out with one. The Video Game Rating Council. Uh, yep, Video Game Rating Council was from Sega. Uh, there was uh, the 3DO suggested one. Uh, they. They had the Recreational Software Advisory Council formed by uh, Software Publishers Association. And then there was one called the Interactive Digital Software Association, which, again, was a uh, a, IDSA? a collection, IDSA, collection of, of software companies that were uh, advocating for a particular uh, rating system. And that IDSA, IDSA, eventually became the Entertainment Software Rating Board, ESRB, as we now know it. Mm -hmm. That got presented to Congress. And in 1994, uh, Congress approved the form, the formation of the ESRB. And they, you know, it was formally made the rating system for American video games. Mm -hmm. So, um, if you pick up a video game in America, a video game case, there's a very good chance, in fact, an overwhelmingly good chance, that you will see a little black box with white you know, white inside, and then there's a black letter that indicates what the rating for that particular game is. Right. Um, and and that's become the the standard essentially. Uh, and here's the thing: is that there's there's no the reason for this again is so that the consumer has an idea of what type of content is going to be in that game. Uh, it's it's not specifically meant to dictate to retailers what they need to do with each type of game. Like, in other words, there's no rule that says, okay, anything that is rated T or or higher in the, on the maturity scale, like T or M or AO, mm-hmm. cannot be three feet off the floor. It has to be higher up than that. Like, there's no rule about that. Right. There's, there's, no, there's no specific policy in place or law in place that says – you have to be a certain age to be able to buy a game. The rating is there as a guide to say this is what the, this is who the game is intended. Right. You know, we mean this for people who are 17 or older or 18 or older. Chris and I have more to say about the ESRB rating system, but before we get to that, let's take a quick break. There was the United States Supreme Court found. That, that you cannot restrict uh, mature or adults-only titles to specific age groups because con- video game content 
falls under the realm of free speech, which cannot be infringed upon by the government. Now, that doesn't mean that the stores can't have policies because the stores are not the government. In fact, that was the whole reason why this board was formed was so that they could keep that separation between government and business. Yeah. So a an actual retailer, if you were to go to a video game store, they might have a policy that says we do not sell uh, any game that is a ranked M or AO to anyone uh under the age of 17, and we will ask for ID. And that's right. their policy, and it's perfectly fine. Yeah. The government can't restrict it, but a store can. And uh, also, I'll go ahead and say it, uh, AO games very rarely get carried in stores. Yeah. Because uh, it's kind of the same thing as the NC-17 rating for films. Films that get an NC-17 rating very, very rarely get any sort of release in most theaters. You might have a few independent theaters that will run NC-17 movies. Yeah. But in general, they do not get any sort of wide release at all. It's very rare when that happens. So same sort of thing with AO games. So getting an AO rating, if you are a game publisher and Mm -hmm. you develop a game and you submit it to the ESRB and you get an AO rating, your first reaction might be, we need to change this because no one's going to carry our game in in stores and we're not going to make any money. Yeah. Yeah. Now they don't uh they don't necessarily play all of the games. Actually fact, they don't they don't play the games at all. Well they do have in house testers, yeah. according to the SRB, who well, who do go through it. Um and as a result of uh <laughs> the whole hot coffee incident, they are supposed to at least disclose everything that's in the in the, the package that you could get. Yeah. We'll um, have to, we'll have even to if it's that. hidden. Okay, so in order to in order to understand what Chris has just said, you know, we have to have some background here. First yeah. of all, the the generally the way that a game manufacturer submits a game to the ESRB, ESRB's uh, uh, general way of testing a game doesn't necessarily involve playing it. It can involve playing it, but to play a game and to really get an, a sense of what the content is all about can take hours and hours and hours of gameplay. Yeah, so they don't play every single game that comes into them all the way through. What what they do tend to do, though, is part of the ESRB ratings process is they require a game manufacturer to submit a DVD that has on it the examples of the most extreme types of content that game has. Yes. So in other words, you're watching like a clip uh, uh, compilation of the worst of this game. Worst being in the sense of like the most intense content. So right. mm-hmm. if, the, if it has any sort of violent content or uh, uh, sexually graphic content or, or foul language, anything like that, anything that would affect the rating, the, the most intense examples of that are supposed to be included on the DVD so that the ratings uh, experts who are trained in uh, the the processes that the ESRB uses to determine the rating for a game so that they can determine what rating applies here. And if you were to release a game that turned out to contain content that went beyond what you showed the DVD in the DVD, you could suffer some pretty stiff fines. Mm -hmm. Industry, uh, the industry itself would fine you and you could face a recall which could be very expensive to recall all the copies of a game. Now that is the case when when Chris was talking about the hot coffee incident. Right. That's specifically talking about uh it was Grand Theft Auto 4, right? 
Yeah. I want to say, or Grand Theft Auto San, San Andreas. Andreas. Grand Theft Auto San Andreas was specifically what it was. Uh, I 2005. I own that game. So this was uh, something that was originally included in the game, and it was a mini game, and it was a, it was a sexual encounter. Mm-hmm. And, and it was... Uh, uh, ultimately, the game designers decided not to include it in the game, but they didn't remove it so much as they kind of the, – the, the code was still there, but it was inactive. Yeah, it was sort of like an Easter egg. Well, yeah. You if, could get to it. If you, but- if you knew how to either uh, – uh, if you knew how to either alter an Xbox console or if you were using the PC version, if you were able to use some software to activate the code, you could get access to this game. But it was this mini game within the game. Uh, but it was not intended for public consumption. At least right. that's what the publisher said. And the problem hmm. was that went outside what they had submitted to the ratings board. And they had a, their original rating for that game was M for Mature. Mm-hmm. That mini game pushed it over to adults only. And so they ended up doing a recall and republishing the game without the code in it at all so they could regain that M Mature rating. Right. Uh, if you were to uh, submit your game, you know, again, you would send this DVD to the ESRB. They would have up to, well, at least three people looking at it. Mm-hmm. Those three people would have experience with kids. That's actually one of the requirements, is that they would have to have some sort of experience, either professional or personal, with children in order to be able to view the content and then judge at what age level is this appropriate? Right. And so uh, it's not just, you know, some scientists with beakers and uh, uh, me, 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 me. not that kind of beaker, oh. but with a like a, a electronic devices saying, well, scientifically, we've determined that 16 is exactly the age at which this game uh, can be sold. And no one under 16 should should ever play it. Uh, it's not that way. It's uh, it's a little more subjective than that. In fact, so is, in fact, the, the, the film rating system. It's not – there's no rating system that I know of that is truly objective. So th- you may find examples of games on the market where you're thinking, this game is rated T for teen, this game's rated M for mature, and I cannot see a significant difference in content between the two games. That's entirely possible. Uh, same with M and AO. You might say, well, why – did this incredibly violent game get a uh, mature rating? But this game, which has a brief uh, scene that's that's part of the game that has some sort of sexuality to it, that got AO. And it, again, it also brings into question things like uh, the the cultural values, like uh, which this gets discussions all the time. Why do we think of violence being more acceptable? Than uh, uh, scenes that depict sexuality, for example. Right. And I mean, there's that's a complicated cultural question that goes well beyond the scope of uh, this podcast. I mean, that it would be a fascinating discussion, but it doesn't really play into here. Uh, but yeah, if you take a look, there's there's a list that they maintain that the uh, ESRB maintains of all the games that have uh, received an AO rating. It's a tiny, tiny list. Yeah, there's not many, and almost all of them. In fact, all of them that I can think of uh, have strong sexual content as one of the components of the game. And except for well, one was gambling, and it was actual gambling, and that's what got it an AO rating. And the rest were right. strong sexual content, which gave it the AO rating. Whereas uh, there was, I think, only one game that I can think of that 
merited an a, initially merited an AO rating based solely upon violence. Yeah, which yeah. was uh, the Punisher, as I recall. Oh, okay. And um, mm. it was it just it had such graphic depictions of violence and and torture scenes that the game publisher ended up going back and in order to avoid an AO rating, they changed. Uh, there was there was like some interrogation scene I think mm. that was so intense that that was what was the the real problem. That was the crux of it. So they changed it from color to a black and white uh, uh, image mm-hmm. for that particular sequence, and that was enough to knock it back down to mature. Wow. Which is kind of interesting. I mean, again, that's a philosophical discussion that I think needs to happen and has happened in the past, but needs to continue to happen, uh, but is outside the scope of our, our show. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. but there, aren't, there aren't many for AO, and they're almost all PC games. Whoa, I have to interrupt the episode here because Chris was about to say something that was going to make this M for mature. We're going to take a time out so he can think about what he did. Well, the uh, according to the, the ESRB, there were 1,332 ratings given yeah. in 2011. Uh, 45% of them were rated E for everyone. Uh, 20% were everyone 10 and older, 26% were teen, 9% were mature. That actually really surprises me, but maybe it's because it's the type of games I play, which tend to be in that mature range, because they tend to have a lot of, uh, of violence in them. So yeah. that, that knocks it up to mature pretty quickly. Um, the, and games have gotten a lot more complicated. With a big hammer, it knocks it right yeah. on up there. But games have gotten a lot more complicated than when, yeah. when the ESRB first launched these these ratings, uh, games were somewhat uh, less complex in the sense that yeah. not only not only were they graphically more simple, but you didn't have to worry about things like uh, online components so much. Uh, you know, the, this was the era where online gaming was starting to become a thing, but it was it was pretty rare. Uh, today, of course, it's common for games to have online components. So now you will also have other elements included with your basic rating, which includes uh, the content descriptors, which tell you why, in a very broad sense, the game is rated a particular way. So it mm-hmm. might say, you know, M for strong, for, for violence and blood and gore, something like that. Right. But there's also what they call interactive elements. These are features that a game might have that could uh, change the, the experience of playing that game, but it's outside the scope of the content itself. This is stuff like the game has some sort of social element to it. Like it might share personal information about you when you play this game. Well, that's something that you would want to know. It doesn't have anything to do with the content of the game, but because it could share your personal information, you probably want to know that before you buy the game. Yeah. Uh, or that it may also allow for online play with other gamers. Now, again, uh, an online game might be the least objectionable thing in the world. It might be a simple puzzle game that has no objectionable content and would be rated E for everyone based on the uh, the the gameplay itself. Mm-hmm. But if it has that online component, then again, adults kind of need to know because you go online and people do not necessarily behave the same way that the content would uh, suggest. So you might have the most foul-mouthed Awful person playing a puzzle game with you. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, you can't blame it on the game. It's the person who's doing it. But, you know, by including that interactive element on the box, 
the the person buying the game is like, okay, if I play it this way, I can expect that sometimes I'm going to encounter material that could be objectionable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's all subjective, which is yeah, that's the and that's the trickiest part. You know, you you like I said, you can have two different you you could submit the same game to two different fully trained groups of people who that's their job is to. Uh, to put a rating to a game and get two different results, mm-hmm. and it's because it is subjective. Uh, there's, a, you know, it's not like you count up the number of times uh, someone gets punched in the face, and that determines whether it goes to from T to M or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's it's a little. I mean, it, but again, th- this this is all about the software industry. Monitoring themselves so that there's not some sort of government agency doing it for them. Yeah, ultimately, it's it's in the industry's best interest to do its own policing, yeah. so that they can avoid uh, any uh, imperial entanglement. Right, right, right. I thought I detected your stench as soon as I came on board. Um, the yeah, yeah sorry so, about that. <laughs> uh, no more chili. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it, it's. It's one of those things where, where you know, if the industry didn't do it, it was going to get done to them. And again, these these ratings are guidelines. So a store can develop certain policies, but ultimately, like you know, you could buy games online. That's another issue. Downloadable content that can change a game. Yeah, you, because you, what comes in the package when you buy it from the store could be very simple and. Yeah. yeah, like you could have a game where it's you know fairly violent but not terrible, you know. Mm-hmm. So so let's say it gets a mature rating. So it's it's bad enough. So they say, all right, seventeen and older. They, that's we're gonna limit it to seventeen or older. Right. And then you have downloadable content that has much more intense content in it. Then you might have people say, wait, now this really needs to be adults only. Now that that causes problems. That mm-hmm. makes it more complicated. So yeah, I mean it's 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 a com- complex issue. Uh, I also kind of it does make me wonder at what level do they say we need to put this as adults only? It goes beyond mature because I've played some games that have had some pretty intense content in it, and you know, not that I'm advocating that those games get reassigned a different rating, but it just makes me wonder really where where is the where's the line mm-hmm. you know and I, I, again I suspect it's the strong sexual content that's really the line um, uh, that's just a based on anecdotal experience so it's not you know don't take it to the bank or anything but based on you know, some of the incredibly violent games I've played where you can do some pretty awful stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. It does make me wonder. All right, where's the limit? I don't. I don't understand where the this divider is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's understandable because it's you know there's with it being subjective. There's no clear cut book of stuff that people are judging it by. Now, I would say if you are a parent and you're listening to this podcast, yes, pay attention to those ratings on the video game covers and. Think about that, you know, and think about the influence that might have on a kid or just think if that's if that's really something that you think your, your kid should be getting into. I mean, uh, I think I think parents do need to take a lot of responsibility for this and pay attention to what their kids are getting into, because, um, 
you know, it, it, it's better to know up front than to be surprised later on. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, if you're cool with your kid playing mature games, then that's a personal decision, and I'm not going to argue with you one way or the other. I don't have kids, so I don't feel like I have any ground to stand on when it comes to that sort of discussion. Yeah. But just be aware. As vilified as it is in some circles, I do think that having the ratings available to people makes it a little easier to tell sort of the the situation you're getting into when you when you pick up a game. Yeah. Um and there are I'm I'm sure there are quite a few uh adults who uh, who are buying games for themselves who sort of like you know you just see you can glance at the game and you go oh that looks interesting and then you see the thing and you might say you know what if yeah. this is mature, there's probably a lot of violence or Or if you're an sex. adult, you might look at it and say, oh, it's T14, that's not going to... Yeah, the, it goes the other way, too, right? Like, right. you have people who, who want to play really intense games, and they're like, oh, this looks cool, and then you're like, oh, it's T14, that's not intense enough. Yeah. Just like, you know, I, I hear this all the time from people who are fans of horror movies, mm-hmm. and a horror movie comes out and it's rated PG or PG-13, and they think, oh, yeah. well, then it's not worth seeing because it's not going to... You know, personally, I think that you can do a lot within that rating uh, by cranking up tension and terror. Uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a, a an inferior movie just because it has that rating. But that's that's one of those things. Like, you know, you go out and you buy a game, or you're going to buy a game, you see it's rated E for everyone. You're like, yeah, I could get that, or I could get Blood, Guts, and Gore Seven, the 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 torturing, uh, which is M. Uh, let's get that one instead. And um, it has nothing to do with the quality of the content mm-hmm. in the sense of whether it's a, a a fun game to play. It just has to do with the actual content. So um, yeah, don't treat these ratings as. Uh, as as a statement of the actual quality of the game itself, that would be a mistake as well. Because you could have a game that's rated M for mature that's n- nearly unplayable, just terrible. Yeah. And another game that's E for everyone that might seem like it's just a very, you know, kind of uh, simple, silly game, but be really genuinely fun to play. So yeah. don't take the ratings as any sort of uh, comment on what the gameplay experience will be like. All right, guys, that wraps up this classic episode of Tech Stuff. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you have any suggestions for future episodes of the show, why why don't you just write me? Let me know what it is. Email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or pop on over to our website. That's techstuffpodcast.com. You're going to find an archive of every single episode we've ever published over there. You will also find links to where we are on social media so you can reach out on Facebook or on Twitter and let us know what you want to hear over there if you like. And of course, there's also a link to our online store where any purchase you make goes to help the show and we greatly appreciate it. And I will talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 